evening, everybody. I'm surprised that you are back after this morning. You survived. Welcome back, Angela. Is it really? Is it better here than Colorado? <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. We missed your face and your husband was moping around here. No, I'm joking. No, he was, he's actually very happy. I'm just joking. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's, it's good to have you here tonight. We are in Acts chapter 21, verse 1 to 16. And the title of tonight's um, discussion is Paul's second encounter with Agabus. And I just want to welcome Kevin and Wanell. It's wonderful to have you with us tonight. Um, I'm sure that you are here because you love the word. All okay? Yeah. Oh, thank you, brother. Yeah, then you can see better. All right. Okay, last week Paul was on the beach in Miletus. He had sent for the elders of Ephesus to come and visit with him. Um, and he has a very, very emotional discussion with, with them on the beach over there. And as Doug said, you know, we could have spread that, that speech of, of Paul out into three or four sermons, but we dealt with it in one night. And uh, if you want to go look at that, just go look at that. Every time Paul opens his mouth and he's talking to people that he loves, he just makes a lot of sense and he touches our hearts, doesn't he? And when I read his words, I get very, very emotional because it's a powerful speech that he gives there to the elders in Ephesus. And he says to them the following, just to remind us and get us back onto track. He says to them, I'm, I'm summarizing and putting it in my own structure. He says to them, first of all, you know me. He says, you know me. You know the way that I've lived among you. You know the way that I've loved you. You know my humility. You know my, you know my tears, my boldness. He wasn't scared to tell them the whole will of God. And that takes, it takes courage to be that way. And he says to them, you know, my message is very clear. All right. So that's the first thing he says to them. And then the second thing he says to them is, he says to them, you know my fate. You know what's happening to me in Jerusalem. You know what's, what lies ahead of, for me. The Spirit warns me every place that I go, persecution is waiting you and potentially death. And then the third thing that he says to them is, I know your fate. You know me, and I know my fate, and I know your fate as well. Because the Holy Spirit has warned me, and he says, there's some savage wolves that's going to come in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. And he says, some of you are going to become one of those, some of those savage wolves, which I think was pretty scary for them to hear. And we spoke a little bit about the history of the church in Ephesus, and eventually that it did die out, which is very, very sad. That at the time that John, the revelator, was perhaps stationed there as a chief, sort of um, the only living apostle left, that that was the type of false teaching that he was dealing with like 40 years later. Um, and then he closes off that speech and he says, I now leave you in God's hands. I've done all that I can to prepare you to be without me. Um, and then he says, remember my example. He says, I was an example to you. And I base the, the way that I've lived my life, I've based it on one thing that I learned from Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And he says, look at my life. I gave myself to you. All right. And I want you to do the same because it's more blessed to give of yourself than to receive. And a few lessons I pulled out of that is that you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. Paul was essentially talking about his reputation there. The other lesson was this. You can only wash your hands after you have used them up. Because that's what he says to them. I can now wash my hands. I've told you everything that you need to know. Now I can wash my hands and it's between you and God from here forward. A third lesson was this. The Holy Spirit leads us to peace. 
but often to persecution and pain. And sometimes we neglect to remember that, and it's going to come up again tonight as well. The fourth thing was this. We should be passionate in the preservation and protection of the church. Paul was crying over the future of the church. And lastly, we've got to find, if you find a way to give, you will find something that you will receive. Not exactly in those words. Find a way to give and you will receive. There's always a return when you give. But if your intention is to, to, to receive, you've got the wrong reason to give. But you never have to be scared of giving because you will never lose something. Um, so that's the situation on the beach. And now the elders, we finished off last week, they're accompanying Paul back to the ship. Because Paul is on his way where, ladies and gentlemen? To Jerusalem, the great city. Now, let's get to the text for tonight. We are over there in chapter 21 from verse 1 to 3. After we had torn ourselves away from them. From whom? The elders, right? On the beach. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Koz. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there we went to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. Went on board and set sail after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it. We sailed into Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. And all of us know exactly what this journey looks like, right? Well, no, we don't, right? That's why I've got a map. I'm a friendly preacher. There's a map over there. So they're on the beach there in Miletus. They go over to Kors. They pass around Rhodes, stop over in Patara, sail south of Cyprus, and they end up down there in Tyre. The key thing, I think, if we look at this text is that, uh, and I've highlighted it there when I looked at it, is just this idea, and I, I, I spent some time just meditating on this, they, they had to tear themselves away. This was a very hard farewell. And I asked myself the question, why were they so emotional about each other? We know that Paul, I think it was two years that he preached in Ephesus, right? It wasn't like he was there for 50 years. He was there for some time. And this is what came to my mind. And, and remember, at the end of, at the end of this, we can, we can open up some thoughts. But they have battled together. Because if we go back, remember the studies, the, the, the lessons that we've done in Ephesus. They have waged war in Ephesus. Within that space of two years, the gospel has been preached in the whole of Asia. They did it together. Persecution was hard. Miracles was incredible. These people were connected because they were on the same mission. People who wage war together, I think they have a different bond. Those of you who've been in military, who's been in the military here? I, I often hear people that's gone to military, they've got this bond with the people in their units on a different level. They're emotional about each other when one of them dies. It's emotional. And I, I can picture the same thing over here. These people have waged war together for the kingdom of God. And now one of their number is going to leave and potentially going to die. In actual fact, he says to them, what? None of you are going to see my face again. That's why it was so hard. They, they find it very hard to separate from each other because they have shared their souls. They've shared their souls. And it's for this reason that their love for each other it's so strange for us. This is why it's strange for us. What do we pick up in the relationship between Paul and these Ephesian elders? I'll remind you, Paul was crying with them. I appreciate your tears this morning, brother Dave. It's your heart. You're sharing your soul with us. How often do you cry in front of somebody? 
except your wife when she hits you in the head. But and the text says that they were hanging. In the Greek says they were hanging on one another's necks. They were hugging each other. They were kissing each other. And they, they were begging Paul, essentially. If you go read the text again, it's like they don't want him to go. Please don't go. And here the text says they, they're tearing, they're going to tear themselves away from them. Most Christians can't wait to get away from each other. These guys are like, no, I want to hold on to you. Please don't go. What's the difference between them and our Christianity? And you think you're going to get an answer. I don't know. We need to talk about it. This is a deep issue. We live in a different world. And I think it's really related to trust. And most people that I've spoken to will say, well, I'm not going to open my soul to anybody. I don't trust that guy. You open your soul to somebody, they're going to go tell somebody else that and that and that and that. You can't be vulnerable in front of people. I'm not even vulnerable with my mother. I don't even know if I can trust her. We've got a really a trustless society. These guys, you know why they trusted each other? Because they saw each other battle, potentially to the point of death for the gospel of Christ. And it wasn't about their own image. It wasn't about their personal self-identity. It is all about Jesus Christ. These people were dead to themselves. It wasn't about them. They just saw a fellow soldier willing to die for Jesus. Yeah, I'll give my life and open my soul to this guy. I think one of the key reasons, I'm saying a lot of stuff because I don't know what the answer is, but I'm touching just on the surface of some of it, and I want to leave it to you with you to think about I think if we are on the same mission and I think our church really needs a mission where we all together agree on we want to fight for this thing I think that will draw us closer to each other when we have the same mission and the same vision and we're going the same direction and we want to sacrifice for it I think that will pull us closer together that's what I think is the reason why these people loved each other so well all right, I'll leave that. If you have something in your mind, please come back to me at the end about that. Okay, we've seen the, the map, verse 4. We sought out. So now they, they land. Well, where are they? Let's just go back quickly there. The last verse over there. They are in Tyre. When Brother Dave Rochford came to visit in South Africa, he said we spelled Tyre the wrong way. Because he saw all the shops selling tires. In Africa, it's T-I-R-E. Is that right? What is it here? Is it like that? Oh, that's yours. Okay, ours is like that. So obviously the guys who imported tires first in Africa brought it from this place or something. Anyways, verse 4. The first thing Paul did. Okay, well, let's read. We sought out the disciples there. So they arrive in town. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit... They, which is who? The disciples, urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Don't go. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city and there on the beach. Once again, we knelt to pray. And I want you to picture this in your mind. He just came from Miletus. There they prayed on the beach with the elders and hugging each other. Now they get to Tyre, but now it's whole families, kids, babies, children, teenagers, on their knees, in the sand, on the beach. Verse 6, after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. The first thing that Paul did when he arrived in Tyre was what? Go look for disciples. And once again, you know, this always comes up. Was he looking for Christians? Was he looking for a church building? Was he looking for disciples? 
He was looking for disciples. The word disciple is used here once again. What is a disciple? Matetais, what, is, what does that mean? Student or a follower of Jesus. That's who they're looking for. Well, why not? Why would Paul go seek them out first? Why not just spend one night in an Airbnb? Get ready the next day you're back on the ship again. Well, they were probably waiting for the ship. And if you're going to stay over in a town, especially like they were, you would look for people that are of the same kingdom as you. The same belief system. And I don't think we get it as much as these guys did. Every town we go to in this nation, we could probably come across Christians. Right? We hear Christian language the whole time. But in the world that, that Paul traveled, it wasn't that often and it wasn't that common. For them to, be, to connect with Christians or disciples, I mean, it was really a, a breath of fresh air in a deeply pagan world. So when you get to a town, you really want to connect with the people who also believes in Jesus. They have the same belief system, the same king, the same goals, the same love, and the same culture. That's what the kingdom of God is. And remember, that's what the whole book of Acts is about. The spread of the kingdom of God. Daniel chapter 2, the rock that mutates into a mountain and fills the whole earth. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And when you get to, to meet with the people that think the same way as you, got the same God as you, eat the same way as you, think the same way as you, got the same moral values, worship the same Lord, I think there's a sense of comfort and stability there. And you can ask me, I know sort of what it feels like, not anymore because I'm sort of getting out of it, but when we arrived here, it was really cool to meet South Africans. Although I've only met two families that were South Africans, and I don't like them anymore because they're not South Africans anymore. They've been here for 20 years. I go visit them, they want to give me donuts. I said, no, I want stuff from South Africa. Anyways, no, it's not, not that bad. But if you, if, you're, if, you, if you go to a foreign place and you meet people that come from where you come from, there's something comforting about it. There's something that gives you a little bit of, just a little bit of, a little bit of home. For Paul, I think this was the case. There's a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of mutual encouragement. And the Spirit does something interesting here. Right? This, through the Spirit, and, I, and, and this is key, because there's something funny coming up in this, this text. The Spirit, through these disciples, is urging Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They beg him, don't go. And there's a slight contradiction here. Because if we remember last week, what did Paul say? He said, the Spirit compels me to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit compels me. So, so Paul says the Holy Spirit in him is compelling him to go to Jerusalem. Now he meets disciples and they are saying the Spirit in them says he must not go to Jerusalem. Is it the same spirit? Well, according to the Holy Scripture, it's the same spirit. How is it possible that the same spirit can give out two messages, two different messages? Or maybe we need to find a way to think through this. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do tonight. The spirit in Paul wanted him to go to Jerusalem. But the spirit wanted Paul to count the cost and know that it will cost his life. He will be persecuted and he will die. I'll explain that more as we go on. It's, it's like the Spirit is saying this. 
if if you are not ready for this if if you are not totally in this i want the spirit wants you to go but if if you're not ready to go die and give up everything i want you to know my spirit is also telling you through these people it's okay you can turn around right here you don't have to go all the way i want you to go but i'm i'm, I'm not going to force you know that if you do go you're going to die and it's going to hurt and so there's this this double message this 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 call from inside go and then this warning from the side saying it's going to be painful and i think the holy spirit does the same with us sometimes too and they're on the beach and there's a holy time of prayer ladies and gentlemen this is a beautiful scene as the apostle is there can you imagine can you imagine the fathers and the mothers they say guys Paul is here, the great apostle. I mean, this guy's incredible. People just want his handkerchief to touch it, to be healed. He's with us, guys. And you know what we think? He's going to go to Jerusalem. We might never see him again. Come, we're going to go to the beach. We're going to walk to the beach. It's a few miles. We're going to hike to the beach and we're going to go pray with him. Can you imagine that holy moment as everything gets quiet and you just hear the ocean? And you imagine you could see with the, just with the camera, you could see the kids kneeling next to the apostle Paul, next to dad, next to mom. Can you imagine that, that type of spirituality, that type of being real, being family? I don't want to make us feel guilty, but when last did you bow down your knees with your kids? Okay, I can see some of you have been on the planet for a while. You probably don't want to bend down your knees. You're not going to get up again. Paul impacted total families. Christianity is a family affair. A family that prays together stays together and a family that plays together stays together as well if you could do both that'll be great when else did your children see you bow down and pray on your knees what do you think a child learns when he sees his dad on his knees or his mom on her knees what what goes on what is happening to the programming here when they see that Beautiful. All right. Let's see what happens in verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, I know it's a long time back to go back to Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. But 30 years before this, we've, we've gone more than 30 years already, ladies and gentlemen, in the book of Acts. Philip left Jerusalem. He was one of the seven deacons, right? And he left Jerusalem because of the killing of Stephen, because of the persecution. And then Philip went where? To Samaria. And from Samaria, he was called where? Down to the desert road, right? Where he met the eunuch. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit snatched him up after the baptism of Philip and he took him to Azotus. And then the text says he walked up there and he continued preaching the gospel until he reached Caesarea. So Philip has been staying in Caesarea for like 30 years. And it seemed like somewhere in between there he picked up a lady. And he produced four daughters. And they're all not married yet. 
and they are prophetesses. And now Paul meets him, meets him and, and stays at his house. How beautiful. This just merges together. The text says that Philip is the evangelist. Uh, just that you, you know I had to just jump in there quickly, right? It appears two other times in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, one of the leadership structures in the church. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I am. That's what I strive to be. An evangelism is a preacher of the gospel, one who announces good news. I'm not an elder or a pastor, whatever you want to call it. I'm an evangelist. So, I wish I could talk to this guy because this, this guy is like really encouraging to me. I have two boys, Micah and Neo, and I really want a daughter. And I'm an evangelist. I wish I could just talk to this guy. Like, what do, what do you have to eat to make sure you get a daughter? Because you got four, dude. In any case, God endowed these ladies to be able to predict the future. And I don't think I want to go into much more of that. Let's continue um, just on. Let's just look at the map quickly. There's Tyre, Ptolemais, and then Caesarea. That's where they are currently. That's where um, Philip is. Now, verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, they're still in Caesarea, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, here we go again. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. I would find it pretty awkward if one of you just comes and takes my belt off my body. Seems to be what happened here. These prophets were bold. They didn't play games. This is not the first time, ladies and gentlemen, that Mr. Agabus comes onto the scene. Let's see how well you guys can remember. Mr. Agabus had an encounter with Paul also like 20 odd years before that. And it was in Antioch. Antioch was still a forming church, a brand new church. Barnabas was at work there in the ministry and he decides he needs Paul's help. So he goes and searches for Paul. He gets Paul. They come back to Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas, they just teach the church. They teach these people the gospel. And the news spreads. That, that this, this Gentile city is receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first place the word Christian comes from, right? And it's directly after that in Acts chapter 11 verse 28. The text tells us that Agabus arrived there on the scene. He arrives at the church. And he warns them. He says that there is going to be a severe famine throughout the whole Roman world. He predicts. A famine. And that's going to be during the reign of Claudius, Caesar. About 15 years after Agabus said that, it actually happened. There was a severe drought, there was severe poverty, severe struggle, a severe um, famine spread out. And we see it on the pages of scripture. We see it in Corinthians. We see it when Paul writes to the Thessalonians. They are trying to find money to provide for who? For the churches down in Jerusalem, because the church is struggling. So, can you imagine? You are Paul. And you're standing there. You know what Agabus does, right? When he says stuff is going to happen, it's going to happen. 
And this cat walks up to him and grabs his belt like, oh boy, here we go. He was hoping Agabus wouldn't walk to him, but he did. And then he starts tying himself up. And then he makes this proclamation. He says, you're going to be bound up like that. And Paul's like, here we go. This is real. And this comes from the Holy Spirit. Again, in Ephesus, the people didn't want it to go. In Tyre, the people begged him, don't. He gets to Caesarea and, the, and, and this prophet says to him, you're going to be bound up. Every place he goes, the Holy Spirit warns him. But the Holy Spirit in him is also saying, go. This time, it doesn't come from people that he loves or people that he's got this relationship with. This time, it's straightforward from heaven. The message comes from this prophet. It is like God saying to Paul, dude, I want you to go represent me. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I hope that you will be bound. I want to take you all the way to Rome. I want you to go proclaim my name even in Rome, the furthest places of earth, and I want you to go die for me there. But you need to know that you will be bound. People are not going to like you. It will be hard. I warn you, if you cannot do it, or don't want to do it, your chances now to stop and turn around. God is great, ladies and gentlemen. Paul had a choice. But Paul didn't care. He just wanted to do God's will. That's all Paul wanted. Philippians chapter 1, right? I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, but for the sake of the church, I'll stay. In his mind, he's willing to die. It's first prize to die. But if he has to stay for the church, then he'll do that. Because if that's what Jesus wants from him, that's fine. He's done with living for himself. And you know what I was reminded of when I read this? I remember Peter. And Jesus had a run-in with Peter, right? Do you remember what, Jesus, what Peter said to Jesus in Matthew 26? 35 he said to him this he said this to jesus even if i have to die with you i will not deny you so jesus the spirit has already had run-ins with people like paul let me just before you say you're going to go die for me in rome let me just warn you it's not going to be easy because maybe somewhere when the rooster crows the second time the second form of persecution you're going to give up so let me give you three warnings like I gave Peter. Make up your mind before you get to Jerusalem whether you're going to go all the way or you're not going to go. That's my interpretation. Because Peter didn't work there, right? And that's perhaps, and Paul said, no, Lord, I'm going to go all the way. And maybe that's why God said, okay, then you can write almost half of the New Testament. I'll give Peter just two letters. Verse 12 says, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. There we go again. Then Paul answered, most beautiful words in all of scripture. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why are you breaking my heart, man? 
I want to go die for the Lord that died for you. And you're trying to stop me. You're making it hard. My heart is ripping open here, man. Let me go and do his will. And he wouldn't, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Oh, we can't keep this guy from going to die for Jesus. What an incredible man. They begged Paul, parakaleo, this word that appears so many times in the New Testament, begging, 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 the demons begging Jesus, it appears. The people begging Jesus to leave when he costs them too much. This beautiful tension is seen here once again, where Paul is saying, hey, I love you guys, and you're making it difficult for me, but I, I love Jesus more. This tension. Paul was loved by the church, and Paul loved the church. But he chose the mission over the Kumbaya. Well, I could stay here with you guys in Tyre and I can stay here with you in Caesarea and we can sit here on the beach and sing Kumbaya and feel comfortable and nice and it's all wonderful. Or I could get in that ship, get to Rome and people will hear about Jesus that's never heard of him and I could go die there. It's this exact same thing. We can practice a Christianity where we kumbaya in our little church and we feel comfortable, but we don't want to go make any sacrifices out there where Jesus' name can be glorified. Paul says, I'm going on mission. He chose the glorification of the name of Jesus over the comfort and the love of, in the church. He chose the presence of Christ over the comfort of earthly life. He chose Jesus over his brothers. He chose persecution over safety. He chose pain over popularity and peace. He says, I'm ready. Ready to give more than expected. Ready to give more than required. Paul's heart is being broken by his brothers. But Jesus has his whole heart, his whole being. No one was more important than Jesus. Nothing was more important than the name of Jesus. Nothing was more important than the will of Christ. And Paul wanted Rome to hear about Jesus. And thank you, Paul, for going. Because today, there's more crosses on the buildings in Rome than any other city in the world. Paul took Jesus to Ephesus, Tyre, and Caesarea. But Jesus now wanted to take Paul to Rome. In order that Paul may tell all of Rome about him. The concluding verses is not so loaded. After this we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us. And brought us to the home of Nason. Where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus. And one of the early disciples. Not much to say here. Except that this was probably a safe house to stay at. This person was an older Christian. He has been around for a while. He's perhaps seen the controversies between the Jews and the Christians. And he understood the faith and the doctrinal problems. And he knew where to take the apostle in Jerusalem in the safest way, perhaps. He was a good contact and a safe bet for the safest journey. Thoughts from me and then I'm going to open it up. If there's something on your mind. Disciples who share their souls. Heal their souls. One of the greatest blessings is to have a relationship with somebody who loves Jesus. 
and you feel open enough to talk about everything that's going on in your heart. It heals you. You know what counseling is? I studied three years of psychology. Four, five, I can't remember, something like that. Lots. And we study a lot of counseling. You know what counseling is? Somebody that gets paid to ask you about your soul so that you can talk about your soul. That's essentially what counseling is. So how do you feel? What do you think? How do you feel? What about this? What about that? You're unpacking your soul in front of somebody that doesn't really care about you but likes your money. It's counseling. We get that for free with each other. If we're willing to open up our hearts, it's free. The text in John tells us that if we confess our sins to one another, God will forgive us. That's opening up your soul. Being honest about what's going on inside of you. Open your soul and you'll be healed. And so we should be looking for people we can trust. Instead of continually noticing, well, I can't trust that guy or that one. The second thought that came to my mind as I studied this is that families on a quest appreciate each other the best. The families on that beach were one in heart with Paul and his missionary journey. Their families were committed. When we are focused on the mission, we don't have time to argue with each other. There's no time for jealousy and insecurity. We've got to focus on the work at hand. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit has a message for us. Come but count. Go but know. Let me explain. Come. I want to use you. Come. Come. Come to Jerusalem. Come to Rome. Come die for me. But know you've got to count the cost. And most of Christianity is not saying that. Most of Christianity is saying, come to Jesus. He wants to heal you. Come to Jesus. He wants to give you a victorious life. Come to Jesus. Everything's going to be perfect. That's not what Jesus calls us to. I forgot, what he, uh, forgot his name, but this guy that was um, executed by Hitler, Christian guy, Christian preacher. He wrote a book about the, uh, about the discipleship of Christ. And he said, the whole summary of his whole life in his book is this. When Christ calls you, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when, when Christ calls you, he calls you to come and die. And I think we need to say that more to Christians. This costs you something. So come, but count the cost. Go on the mission. Go whatever God calls you to do. But no, it's not easy. Those who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, Paul says. It costs to be a Christian. And if you're not willing to take the cost, then don't go. Rather, just resign. And lastly, the Holy Spirit doesn't always pull in the same direction as the people who love you. Your mother might say, hey, go left. Don't go live in America. Go live here in South Africa. Your aunt might say, no, no, no. Go study civil engineering. Don't go to Bible college. The spirit and the people that love you will not always pull you in the same direction. The question is, who do you follow? Who do you trust? Do I go with the hearts of those who love me or do I go with Jesus? And you know what the answer to that is. Jesus is always the best. And the safest bet. All right. I'm done. Done talking for one day. Your turn. Yes, brother.
Well, brother, I, I appreciate that about you. I didn't say that we want to just scatter the whole time. I just said in general, Christians, they just want to scatter away from each other. And we don't love each other like these guys did. But I'm always available for a kiss, my brother. I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I know, and I agree with you, that you love being with God's people. And we love you, and we appreciate you. I wasn't saying that we as a church do that. I was just making a general statement. In Christianity, there's a lack of that deep type of love. Well, I think that's exactly what Paul did here. Is the comfortable position was to stay in Tyre and or in Caesarea or wherever, but he chose to go. There's a point where we have to go on mission. And sometimes as a church, we can get so focused that we become the mission, that we're so focused on each other instead of the mission, and that's where problems develop and we lose track. I appreciate you, brother, and I agree with you. Love you. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, brother. Yes, and it's like these 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 other moments are like pit stops. Are you sure you're still in? Are you sure you want to go ahead with us? I'm, I'm warning you. Are you sure? <laughs> I like it. Yes, brother. Sure.
unless he he rejected the spirit in him and and the call and then he would have lived a totally different life absolutely but if he wanted to be on this mission yeah there's no way forward except that way all right dana okay let's let's pray Father in heaven, thank you so much once again for your text. Thank you for the boldness, the heart of Paul. Thank you, dear Father, that even though his friends broke his heart through their emotion, that they that 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 he still chose you and your will and your mission. Father, I pray that you will give us that type of heart, that you'll help us to live for you with everything that we have. We ask, Father, that this week that you will use us, send us. And help us to count the cost of following you as we live out our Christian faith, wherever you take us this week. Please keep us safe. Please bring us back together again. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.